you know how they started World War One sandwiches. It was because someone made a bad sandwich. But every culture, every continent, every country in the world has a sandwich. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, you guys, we are talking about creating shared memories over fabulous meals with wonderful co-host of The Kitchen, Jeff Morrow. Hey, everybody, Jim Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. So you guys, right now, we are in a series called For the Love of Food, and I am trying to think of a series that I have enjoyed more than this one, just pure enjoyment. I have loved every conversation. I love these food people. I love talking to them. You might know our guest today by his kind of original moniker, the one that we learned him through, which was the Sandwich King. So growing up in Chicago, Jeff Morrow, you know him, you love him. He was super like immersed in really vibrant culinary experiences from an early age and big family, big kitchen, big energy. And so after going to college, he opened Primetime Deli and Catering. Then he went on to attend Le Cordon Bleu. And then where I met him and probably you did too, he went on to win the seventh season of Food Network Star, which was really his launching pad. He ended up with his own Food Network show, Sandwich King. And now he's such a clever and funny co-host on The Kitchen. And we talk about this too. He's at the beginning of the pandemic, he started Come On Over podcast with his sister. And it's just so funny and wild and irreverent. We're going to talk about this as well. He delivers his mouthwatering delights right to your doorstep through Moro Provisions. And he's the host of the brand new show, Kitchen Crash on Food Network. Also super, I mean, this guy, is, who can do this much stuff? His debut cookbook which we just absolutely yammer about in this episode, come on over released into the world yesterday. And Oh my gosh, you guys, he's got like a jalapeno popper grilled cheese in there. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the, this is the stuff. He is the expert when it comes to hosting people and having them over for food, our favorite thing to do in the world. And we're going to talk about this idea of hosting and how to do it well. He's got some rules. He's got some laws. You're going to love this hour. This is going to be so fun for you. I'm so happy that you've tuned in. So pleased to share my conversation with the absolutely delightful Jeff Morrow. Hi, Jen. Jeff! I'm so happy to meet you. I have so loved watching you and knowing you from afar from my couch, from the comfort of my couch for a really long time. I'm kind of on record as saying I would 100% get rid of cable yesterday were it not for the Food Network. That's That's the glitch of the matrix for me. You're my guy. Like, you're my guy. We love that. Can I get at that quote and I'll send it to the, uh, you know, the head of discovery because yeah. there's so many people like you out there. And obviously, I mean, the numbers show it and people need it in their lives now more than ever. But the cutting of the cord is is inevitable to a degree. But so many people still tune in an appointment television watch, especially on the Food Network, or just have it going all day. Totally. You know, like background music. So you're you're one of the more evolved people. I, I have a bunch say. of kids. I'm always like, what's going to be your childhood memory? Like, what's the thing that's going to rise to the top for you when you think back on the years in our house? And I'm thinking 
it's incredible warm memories about me, you know, like the delicious meals that I made for them or like the movie night or whatever, wait, porch time. And every one of them are like, for the rest of my life, when we think of you, we're just going to think of like the food network on the television, like just background noise. I'm like, well, great. That's my legacy. It's fantastic. I knew this was going to be a special interview. And you're just, I mean, I don't know if you're just buttering me up right Bro. now, but I am lack, I'm lacquered. I'm saturated in butter right now. And I this love is God's it. truth. Anybody will tell you this and we're going to get to it, but I just want to put a pin in it that also I am so solidly on record as saying by a hundred miles, my favorite food in the entire world is a sandwich. And so we'll get there. Just hold, just hold. You said the word and it was like a Pavlovian response. I just start spilling out. You know, I'm pontificating, if you will. I'm, I'm going to wait. Just hold though. your gold I'm material because we're going to get there. The sandwich is like my core value, and so this is something that we and I, you and I could probably talk for an hour about just by itself. But first of all, let's go here. So I've told my listeners a little bit about you already. I've kind of high leveled it for them. But if you wouldn't mind, I'd kind of like to walk it back to kind of really the core of who you are. Would you tell us just a little bit about? Growing up in a very large, same here, noisy, same here, hungry, same here, family, and what it meant to you when you would hear your mom say, come on over into the phone. So we want to hear about little Jeff and little Jeff's family. Well, none of the little morrows were ever, you, you, you couldn't qualify them as, as little ever. We we're all in the husky <laughs> realm, totally. but that was just because we did, we loved food and I think I developed my sense of humor and my flair for entertaining around that table where my older brother would bully me and my sisters for attention. My sisters would cry for attention. And I couldn't like, I couldn't go with that angle. I had to develop a new angle to get attention. And for me, it was making them laugh because it was a double, double whammy. You'd, I get the attention and I diffuse whatever was going on. Not saying it was like people were like, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't just, I mean, we're all a little bit dysfunctional, but it was, it was, I'm not painting a, a negative picture here. I'm painting, you know, it's just a Listen, I grew up as the family. oldest of four in the loudest house that ever lived. So you're kind of describing my childhood. It's zany. Can we just call it zany? It's zany to the point when like my wife started coming around and we've been together since we were 20, 21. So for 20 years, so right out of college, she's like, you guys are so uncomfortably loud. And I'm not saying that. But it's like, it hurts sometimes. It hurts. And then she can't get a word in. So she has, to, you know, developed her own strategies. And it's usually baking that gets people to, talk. you know, she gets her attention at the table. But that just kind of fueled that fire in the food was always an integral part of everything. And, you know, the whole ethos of this come on over movement that from the book to the podcast and all this stuff is I love those words. When my mom said those words, I knew we were going to eat. First and foremost, that coffee cake that's been like in the freezer for three months was was getting pulled out and defrosted. Totally. Pizza was being ordered. Or she's, you know, over the stove, bubbling on a big pot of gravy with meatballs and sausage. And whoever was coming over, I wasn't like a weird kid that would be like, I'm going to go in the basement and play Termo Graphics. You know, I was like in the, I couldn't wait if it was the crazy uncle, if it was my dad's weird friend, a doctor in Mexico, you know, who knows? Like, it's like, <laughs> we, I loved it because it was, that's where you get your stories from. That's where we congregate and eat. 
And for me, it's just like the, the greatest word, you know, and I love now to this, to this day when my wife, she's like, screw it. I'll just tell him to come on over. I'm like, yes, you know, cause usually like, well, I got to clean. We got to get prepared. We got to do all this. And that's kind of where the stress, but I love it still. I love having people over. Same. I grew up in the same kind of family and I have the same kind of family now. So, cause my kids are older than yours. You have five, five children, correct? Yeah. That's it? Yes. That's God, it? God, it's Weak. like, what is? what are we doing? It's mayhem. It usually backfires. Like, I'm one of four. I only have one. So uh-huh. my mother... my You course corrected. Yes, I course yeah. corrected. I, we got a huge extended family. So that's plenty for me. It's a lot of... It, it is. It is. And, you know... It is plenty. It is. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm like the house. I'm like the nucleus of the family. And, and, and so everybody's always... We're always filled with... My son's got enough playmates. That's what I was going to tell you. Like, how old's your son? He's 12. Yeah. These next eight years or so of his life, it's like you have five kids. When I'm making dinner, I just kind of yell, like, how many people are here? And there's always <laughs> Roll bonus call. kids. Bonus. There's like extra kids. I don't know who they are. I'm just like, just get a plate. So the teen thing, the teen activity they show up to the homes that feed them. So I'm sorry to tell you, this is your future. Oh, don't worry. He'll, my son will come home from other people's houses. I'm like, gee, right? Assuming that he did. No, his buddies come over there in the basement. It's always like six custom sandwiches from the deli. And then I order three medium pizzas because it travels better. Or we may, I make them the greatest, you know, grilled cheeses. We, you know, not, not float my own boat, but they're getting... It's, it's, I'm not helping keep these kids away. No, you're not. I want to hear you talk about your trajectory because obviously you've had amazing culinary influences in your life and you started right out of the gate, kind of in that, that deli world. And then we get to food network star. That was my introduction to you, obviously all the way now to the kitchen. And then next we'll get to the cookbook after this, but that's quite a deal. I mean, you did it. I want to know everything about it. I want to know, was that your dream? Did you know where you were going? Did you have like an aim here or is some of this surprising? No, it was so orchestrated. Like from a very young age, from third grade, when I started performing up into when I started working in food, I'm like, this is it. This is my angle. I knew I was never going to be the best chef. I went to culinary school. I did all that stuff. I've worked in, but I I loved it. But that's why I loved the deli because the deli was my stage. It was cooking, but also handing people thinly cut three quarter pound, perfectly weighed slices of smoked turkey. So I was, what's the pinnacle of this? And that's Food Network, obviously, and it still is, thank God. But so how do I kind of engineer my life as an adult to that point? And it wasn't easy and it was not overnight, like most stories. And people are like, man, you you got it. You struck gold. You, you lucked out, whatever. I'm like, dude, no, it took 10 years of weird situations, performing and weird, doing stand-up comedy in the bowling alley basement slash fried chicken shop. No, no joke to auditioning for everything from regional carpet commercials to Food Network star four times. So I was just, I loved it. I love food. So I, so I knew I was never going to be the best chef in the world. I knew I was never going to be the best stand-up or comic in the world or actor, but I knew I could be the funniest chef in the world. So like once I realized that and I knew I can 
to you know have the sandwich point of view better than most people or at least anybody trying at least that food network star reality show competition route which thank god for it because that was the only way i was getting in i tried all the other ways of doing my own show pitching it to production companies getting a pilot produced by production companies pitching it to agencies pitching it to networks like i did that in la for years and it just never worked out and like most la stories ended with me going back home, you know, enrolling in culinary school, going back home and just starting a family and like doing what I love while still cooking and performing and setting my sights on Food Network. And the book is just like, it, it, it ended, I, I can't believe it because that took two years. I mean, that's, you, you've you written books. It's, have you done any cookbooks? No? I'm writing one right now. It's due oh, today. It is I'm a sorry. deal. It, oh it is a deal. I love food writing, but I've always done it I'm like you. I'm like part food, part entertainment. I, it's the it's the mashup that I love. So my food writing's rambly and silly and obnoxious and ridiculous. And so I'm like, well, this is fun. Let's do a whole book of it. And you're like, wait a minute. I don't know. I was like, I, grammatically, I, I'm lacking. The words are always there. The stories. And it's just getting them down. And then I've never done so many like rewrites of any. Usually I write a recipe. And then I tell the story behind the recipe on television. This is like locking in the story for life. So real. I have a million questions. First of all, congratulations on your cookbook. It's such a heavy lift. And then like you get it out in the world and it is, it it must be an amazing feeling. I want to hear about your experience writing it more. I want you to talk more about it. Like how many recipes did you put in it? What did you love about doing this? What was harder than you thought? How many hours did you spend in your own personal test kitchen? Because I live there now. I live in Ugh, I live in my kitchen now. That's my home. So much food. So much so food. So much food. My fa- my kids love it. Well, You're here for get, it. That's why you had five children. I mean, like one day I'm going to write a cookbook. I must have five children to eat all the food <laughs> left over. It's so much food. It is. I know. I know. But so t- I want to hear more about how you found that because that's very different, as you just mentioned, from your TV world. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's 111 recipes, which I thought was the magic number. They're like, we're going to do 110. I'm like, can we do one more and make it 111? Because it's just a funnier number. I don't know. Nobody does odd numbers for cookbook recipes. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to differentiate myself to that. So there's really no, that's the only reason there's 111, but it's hard to even pick the final recipes because I wanted to draw, obviously I wanted sandwiches be spotlighted and pizza chapter in a Chicago food chapter in a baking. So it's like you do it in, in the testing of it was fairly simple because just from, I mean, there's a ton of food more for the, the photography, the, the week of shooting was, was a tremendous amount of food that we just were giving away to whoever was walking down the street at one point. Cause I was like, Hey man, I'm a famous guy. You're going to take my food. I'm like, you know what this is worth? So I constantly develop recipes for the shows. I mean, you're talking we're on our 28th season of The Kitchen. That's 13 episodes a season. That's a lot of recipes, a recipe a show at least. So I've had ones that, you know, I'm just always writing recipes, but you got to make sure they're locked in for this book. So we tested them all. And it's a fun process. And all in all, from the point, you know, I got the book offer to handing it in, it was two years. So, you know, you spend a year writing it, I would say, shooting it, all that, and then months and months of all the edits in the passes. And I was like, 
I didn't like that. Like I liked handing it in and now I like selling it. <laughs> but for me, what I'm learning is I'm just a real intuitive. I'm just a home cook. I don't have your training. I don't have your credentials. I'm just a, a girl who learned to cook from your network. And so I, I'm intuitive. So my editor's like, one thing that isn't a thing that you can say is some salt. I'm like, well, that's what it is. It's some. Oh, Put some in and then see how it tastes. I don't know how much. Every recipe I wrote for 10 years always said, you know, season to taste with salt and pepper. Right? See yes. At the end, season to taste. Or, you know, if it's a baking, obviously, you put the quantities in. And I had to, like, scrub that language. Because they'd go in and they find, I thought maybe a couple of times I slid it in there and man, like the fourth pass, they're like, nah, you're going to need a, we need a, a measurement. I know. I'm so upset by it. I'm like, I'm an artist. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand my food. <laughs> they're like, Jen, if you say some, somebody will put in three tablespoons of salt. Yeah. They just right. will. They'll, that's what some means to them. And I 100% agree with that. You know, it's one thing when you're... You're on TV saying, you know, and they're watching it and the recipe reflects what you've done. But in this book, again, you're locking it in for life. You don't want any, you don't want any duds and you don't want to, you want to try to eliminate the risk of, you know, Connie in Ohio being like, well, I'm quarter cup, quarter cup it is. I always say Brenda from Cincinnati. You have Connie from Ohio. I think it's the same person. Everybody in Food Network says that because that's our, we oh, have Connie to from say Ohio. Connie yeah. from Ohio is like, talk to any Food Network talent. They're all like, oh, shoot, man. I'm I'm, I'm straying a little far from Connie from Ohio on this one. <laughs> totally. I think we got to roll back the, uh, you know, the, the caviar and the foie gras in the recipe. Smoked sea salt. Listen, you've got a lot of things on your plate this spring. There's taxes, which we all kind of expect. And then there's navigating a world trying to emerge from a pandemic, which was not expected. You just need one thing to be easy, and I've got it. You can shop for home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. Hello. In fact, they've saved customers up to $1,055 a year by reshopping their home and auto coverage and getting started is super easy. So first head to policygenius.com and answer just a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate, all of them, to find your absolute lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings. You know this they're singing my song right now. This is my language including bundling your home and auto policies, if that's what it is. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. They've saved customers over $1,000 a year compared to their current home and auto policy. So head to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Guys, it's here. Spring is here. The skies are blue, the birds are singing, the flowers are blooming. And listen, if you want to get some of that spring magic indoors or even on your front porch, you've got to check out this super cool company called Bloomscape. Bloomscape delivers healthy plants right to your door, plus all the grow how you need to help them thrive. You can find the perfect plants for your space, whether you've got tons of light or hardly any. I got this little 
fiddle leaf fig from Bloomscape for our living room, and I absolutely love it. It came right to my door looking so beautiful and healthy. It's got these glossy green leaves that brighten the whole room up. I, I love it so much. Oh, and now Bloomscape is taking it outside with their new outdoor bloom kits. You can shop a variety of plants and accessories and tools and supplies. Bloomscape has everything you need to get your patio or your porch springtime ready. So you've got to check them out. And right now, you can get 15% off plant orders of $100 or more with promo code for the love. And that's at bloomscape.com. So that's 15% off plant orders of $100 or more at bloomscape.com promo code for the love. All right, back to our show. I want to know, I mean, it's so hard to pick out of 111, of course, but what are a couple of the recipes that you developed for the cookbook that you're like, this one is just, it's money. This is the one people are going to write me about. This is the one people are going to like put on Pinterest. Okay. So oh, there's so many. I think when the summertime hits, I developed and invented two new boils. I know it's like, really? Can I see? I already know this. I have it in my notes. I almost fought with, not fought with the editors about this because boil is, you know, I just said it out loud. I'm like, are they on your neck or on your calf? <laughs> they're, they're like a shrimp boil, but I grew up with a dad who's severely allergic to shrimp to the point of if he eats one, he will most likely die. Sometimes he takes a bite of an egg roll knowing this, but he just wants an He's egg gonna roll. He's going to roll the dice. He's, yeah. He rolls the dice. That's how he live. That's that's how that's how we're addicted to food we are. He'll die for it. One bite of an egg roll. So I, I developed these. So we never, and I grew up in Chicago, the Midwest. I mean, there's no shrimp where we live. Naturally, you know, Lake Michigan does not produce. It's not a great, great sh shrimp fishery. Only smelts and nobody wants to smelt boil. So I developed nacho boils. And what I think is my crowning achievement is the Italian sub boil, which is like shards of beautifully oiled, slightly toasted Italian bread, just all the deli meats ribboned on there with shredded lettuce. So it's like you plate it over a huge parchment. You put the jardinier on there, the oil and vinegar, little bocconcini, fresh mozzarella balls. And you have this out there on parchment and just everybody's just going in there like a giant six foot plate of nachos, but it's an Italian sub. Because I had to put an Italian sub in there. I mean, it's like my roots, but I, I wanted to do a new spin. So that one was fun. That's incredible. And we ate it. And like, I was like, I have the best photographer in the world. His name's Ken Goodman. He's He was a chef for 30 years in New York City restaurants who became a photographer. So, yeah. so the he best possible. Yep. He had an eye for food and an eye for, you know, composition. He was like, this is the best thing you've ever done. He's like, this is. <laughs> and I remember as we shot it and we're all sitting there like eating and sweating. I'm like, no, we, we're we burning daylight here, as they say. <laughs> I love that one. And in and, and my, my wife's pecan sea salt chocolate chip cookies. She's a tremendous baker and she just made these because we're doing these Instagram reels yeah. for the kids. Yeah, I know about it. I literally have a 15 year old doing them for me. And we made them the other night and they're just like the most gratifying chocolate chip cookie in the world. So I shouldn't, of course, ever have been handed a cookbook contract because I'm not a, really a dessert person. I like things to be spicy and savory and salty. That's my favorite food. Salt. My favorite food is salt. I love it. But I just have my, I have one dessert that I just love. I've loved it my whole life. It's just ordinary cream brulee. So I have a dessert chapter with one thing in it. That's it. 
That's brilliant. You know, that would have been the best thing for a 111 recipe count. You get the one is the one dessert. You're welcome. You could take it. You could take 111. It's sweeping the nation deck. Hashtag 111, everybody. <laughs> but I, good for you, man. It's your book. <laughs> it's what I like. Day, it's what you like. I cannot talk fake. about baking with any integrity. Everybody in my real life would be like, this is some BS, lady. Like, I love creme brulee, too. I think, that, I think so that's because, you know, it's technique based, which is great. It, it holds well and you, you know, you fire at the last minute and you get that crust. It's so, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody who doesn't love it. You did? Yeah. And they poured a shot of, I don't know. I was having dinner with my, one of my co-hosts, Jeffrey. Yes. And, you know, so he's a fancy doing oysters. He's so and fancy. You know, he orders the creme brulee, but we got to have like a flaming shot of frambois on it. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing? I don't know. It's, it's so nice to have somebody that I can call at any time. Who's, you know, wise in many ways. And, and the fanciness is 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 not an act. He loves it, but he's so accessible and down to earth and truly just a great family man. But I love to hear that. Him. I love that makes me really, really happy. I want to talk about your experience on Food Network Star because a competition cooking show is different than a demonstrative cooking show or whatever it was that you had been pitching was probably Jeff centric. You're the guy. It's your world. And then you come into this completely different scenario that is intense and it's fast paced. It's stressful. Did you like that? Did you enjoy competition? No, I hated it. Jen, I hated it. It's the greatest thing I've ever done, right? It was the most life-changing decision for me to get on that plane and go to that final round of audition or even to send in the video for the fourth time for the fourth season because it was my last time. I swore it was. It's a last chance. I'm going all in. You know what I mean? Like I had that moment and I was like, this is it after it. I'm done. I'm done chasing this specific dream. So I got there and they like take everything from you. Every book you brought, writing implements, paper, no music, no magazines, no phones, no keys, no wallets, nothing. So you're a prisoner of the production, right? I mean, you. and then they bring in this, you know, introduce you to all these, you know, and nutty people, you know, let's be honest, people who would willingly compete on a reality show competition, you know, and this is 10 years ago. This was like the heyday. It was like so hard. So all you had was the house, the people in the competition in a whole lot of waiting in rooms with nothing to do. I'm talking six, seven hours for your chance to, or for production to pick you up or to go do your 62nd cooking thing or do the main competition and you're in this room with like flies and like a garbage i'm not and you're like and it's like 14 yahoos laying on the floor because we have nothing else it was and that was like every day or every other day and i missed home i forgot of course you know i forgot what like this was two and a half months i would have they would give us one 10 minute phone call every seven to ten days recorded recorded. So they didn't want you to be like, Oh my God, I'm winning. I'm winning it all. And I wanted, I was like, I felt pretty confident throughout the competition. So I wanted to put my, my, my wife's a nurse. She's holding down the fort. I'm not getting paid for this. Our son's two years old. It's dead of winter in Chicago. It was like the worst blizzard of all time. The house is falling apart and I'm calling up. I'm like, I can't tell you anything. She's like, how, well, how's it going? Like the first one, she's like, Oh my God, how's it going? Of course. I'm like, and then by the third phone call, she's like, almost didn't want to talk to me because I couldn't share anything with her. And then she would just unload on me 
that the house was breaking. Her mom fell and broke her elbow while shoveling. Huh? All the this baby stuff. started talking. Right, two year old kid. Yep. I forgot the hardest part, and I tell you, they get us. Let us take two pictures with us. So I had a picture, obviously, of my wife and I for my wedding, and my son, who was barely two at the time. I forgot what he sounded like, how he moved through space. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't visualize him talking to me or hugging me or whatever in it. And that almost destroyed my chances because I was, there were moments where I was like, I'm done. I don't care if I'm fourth. I just want to go home. But that also motivated me to be like, I got, I got it. I got it. This is my last shot. I got to win this. Well, and at that point you want an ROI on your investment. You've already been there six weeks. You're not going home without a trophy. Exactly. So, and and there was no sense in in aiming for anything but but number one. And I'm glad I did because, you know, there was a moment there where you look back at other seasons like, oh, whoever came in second or third ended up getting the show, ended up getting this. <laughs> totally. but I'm glad. And you just, you know, you you surrender to it. And and by, you know, I don't know, eight weeks into it, you're like, all right, now we're in New York and they gave us money and we can go buy a book and watch, you know. We, they took us to a movie. I saw The Fighter at a movie theater. I was like crying. I was like, this is the greatest. I mean, it's a good movie, but, but it's you not. you were just sensory deprived. You needed some input like from somewhere. Shoving Reese's Pieces and popcorn <laughs> in my mouth. I gained weight. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't working out. It was so. So the point is, wow. it was not glamorous. I mean, they would, when the judges walked by and if we were like huddled somewhere, I swear to God, Jen, they would make me, they would make all the, the, the cast turn their bodies and face the wall while the judge, while Bobby and Giada walked by. And that's like the producer. I'm not saying Bobby and Giada did that. They would never, they didn't, they were so cool with us. And they were like our parents, you know, we would get to vent to them. being like, I just, just, and then the camera, you know, but the production was They're like, you do not make eye contact, hard ice. They put us on hard ice all the time. They'd be like I hard ice, like which psychological talk. Yeah. Uh-huh. They just want to kind of break you down. You think that's what it was? Oh my, they would wake us up every, you know, 5 a.m. and they'd be shooting us, brushing our teeth and they'd shoot us going to bed and the heat wouldn't work sometimes. And they put us in these rooms. They just wanted to elicit a really dramatic response. I mean, it's, it's producing and I would probably sign off on it if I had, if I had all this money invested in a reality competition show myself. So we had three Wranglers that were babysat us 24 hours a day. They're the best. I remember Michael, Natalie, and Will. I loved them. And I'm like, my goal for that show was not only win via my cooking and performances, but win with the production and the producers. Be the totally. most amiable, most oh, affable, yep. most liked person by the sound guy touching my chest every six minutes to the boom guy, to the cameraman, getting them laughing. I go, if I have like everybody on my side, I'm going to win this. It is about those judges mostly, but I guarantee you sprinkle in a little bit of that and they, and they guide the That's show the too. the side they, energy coming in from mm-hmm. here and here. Yep. I tell you. So I would like work, you know, the Wranglers, forget about it. Like <laughs> by week two, I'm getting bottles of Tito's and Jack, you know, we're like hustling all this stuff. Like, you can go right. get us in and out. Can you get us uh, <laughs> yeah. a carton of cigarettes? Like, it was like, I was like, am I in jail? <laughs> it was fun though. You that know, was a that, good strategy. That was fun. Yeah, it was a good strategy. Yeah, that worked. We can't not talk about the sandwich for just a minute. I, there's just not a way I'm going to be able to let that go. That's what I do. I would like to hear from you. 
your feelings about the sandwich and why, and your evolution of the sandwich is a hot dog, a sandwich. Oh yes. I have that queued up. I'm ready for that. Cause I also have such strong feelings about your aversion to catch up on hot dogs. It's like you've, you've been harmed somewhere, somewhere in your childhood. You were hurt. Some trauma There's always, it's always based in trauma, isn't it? Sandwiches are just the incorruptible food. And I eat one every single day of my life. I have trained my children up in the way that they should go, which is we don't mess around. We're not stupid sandwich makers. We do it. We do it right. And we do it full. So you think about it. Yeah. Oh, do I, I, I am never without my sandwich materials. Never. Absolutely. That never. is. So, well, I mean, I, that's why I, that, not only choosing that point of view for food network star, which I'm glad I did. I came up from the deli world. I, right, I, I worked did. at deli since I was 15 years old. So I knew how to make them great, but I knew how people are so passionate. It's almost like they're dogs. You know what I mean? Like a like you love everybody loves talking about their dogs or whatever. Like people love once you say say oh well I have the I have the best one. Oh you I make the best one. Oh well, the crispy I got the best mustard for it. Oh top best lettuce. Like people get out of control rabid about it to the point where I mean there's you know how they started World War One sandwiches i can't get into it now it's too political but <laughs> it was because someone made a bad sandwich but every culture every continent every country in the world has a sandwich no matter where you are there is some version of a handheld device so i knew also that i could teach cooking through sandwich making because the fundamentals the yeah. of culinary arts, of uh, whether you're whisking, emulsifying a vinaigrette when on your sub boil, or you're you know making a, a, a stable cheese sauce for you know griddled burger, you you know you can learn from them. And it's not a humble. I mean, it's everybody's like, oh, the humble sandwich. I'm like, not now. Thirty eight dollar sandwiches on most menus. Oh yeah, you got to show up if you're going to put a sandwich on your menu. It needs to be like gold standard. Yeah. And it's just usually people putting way too many things on one burger or one sandwich where you can't even eat it. But it's part of my, you know, passions of that is trying to articulate to the world the proper ratios for sandwich building. This is important. And this is your work in the world. It's your calling and it matters. It is. So if you had if you had to pick it, if you had to if you got to make your favorite sandwich, the one, just the one way that you like it the best, what is that? I'll tell you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go two routes. All right. So there's the, the, the lunchtime sandwich, the quick, quick, quick lunchtime sandwich would be just good. Like go to the deli and you form a relationship with the delicatessen that I've dubbed them much like you would your fishmonger or your butcher. These guys are like in the shadows usually, right? Getting yelled at that. It's not thin enough. It's not thick enough. All this stuff, develop that relationship. And that's where you should start with all your great lunchtime sandwiches. Get the good, like I like honey. It's like honey turkey. Me too. Shaved. Boom. A nice, slightly crusty, but very yielding like sub roll or Italian bread or French baguette. So humble. Really, really sharp provolone. You want to taste it. Like where, you know, when you smell provolone, sometimes you start to sweat that kind of provolone. Mustard, shredded iceberg lettuce, tomatoes, and hot jar nera like on the mustard. So the oil mingles. And then you cut it and you have a bag of barbecue chips and a diet root beer. I eat that every day of my life. Right? It's probably most of humanity has eaten a, a turkey sandwich. 
But, you know, it's like the little spins and everything, the little, just the little tweaks there, paying attention to, you know, maybe getting the four ninety nine a pound turkey instead of the two ninety nine a pound. And if they start to slice it and you see it's at the butt end of it, being like, hey, you know, Gary, deli guy, Linda, can you open up a new one for me, please? Because we've established this relationship that I just told you to establish, right? So I don't know, just stuff like that's how passionate and that that's right. I mean, we've we've blown half our time talking about a turkey sandwich. I'm not sorry about it either. So that's that your would lunch. Be it. I love that's that. your that's day sandwich. Lunch. What's your night sandwich? So one of my family favorites is the my Italian beef pot roast style, which is uh, my spin on Italian beef, but made like a pot roast, but infused with red wine and all these herbs, garlic, and it just pulls apart. And you put it on a crusty roll and you put your peppers on it and you dip it in there. It's so good. Oh, my mouth's watering. I'm going to say into maybe a, a, like a smash burger. A greasy, like on a griddle. Griddle. Yeah. Smashed. Yeah. yeah doubled. Yeah. Totally. Double stacked. What's your American cheese? American cheese. American cheese. Sometimes I don't want the shame that comes from the American cheese, but show me a better cheese on a smash burger. Show me. Nothing. There show isn't me. one. And there's no such thing as one slice. It's only three slices of American. Two to three. I think three is the idea. Like, I want to feel the cheese. I want, I want so much American cheese sticking to the front of my teeth. You know how it like stick and you got to scrape it off. Totally. I want to look like I'm wearing Invisalign when I'm eating this burger. But man, another simple prep, right? I like a nice creamy kind of, I call it my 18,000 Island dressing on the side so I can dip in the American cheese and maybe some like pickled jalapenos on it. Everything that you just said is my favorite thing. This was meant to be. It was, it was meant to be. We call it in our house, trash sauce, which is a <laughs> real, real. Is that going in the book? Of course. Okay, what's this in it? This is lowbrow cookbook. This, I love yeah, trash tra sauce already. Just, you know, it's mustard, mayo, ketchup. Maybe some relish, maybe some hot sauce if you're feeling like hot trash sauce. Oh man, spicy trash. Yeah, spicy trash. Just on the side for dipping. We're dippers. That was something I taught my kids before they got out of kindergarten. So yeah, this is a really, really important discussion that we're having. Trash sauce. You know, I'm going to grab at least four to six condiments and so squeezables, as I like to call them, and just start dumping and squeezing and whisking. They're good every right? time. I love it. I and know. I'm not a big mayo fan. Like, I love mayo on fried chicken sandwiches or on crispy bacon, turkey-based club sandwiches. You have to have it. That's that. it. I don't like it with ham. But if you start adding maybe a little stone ground mustard to that. Sure. A couple dashes of horseradish, whatever. Well, now we're cooking with gas. Did your great-grandmother work hard to raise her children and keep her family together? Did your grandfather march for social justice and pave the way for change? Did your family persevere through natural disasters, maybe, to rebuild and start anew? Challenging times, obviously, are nothing new, but neither are resilient people. And with Ancestry, you can learn about the specific struggles your family went through and grow you closer to your own family today. Ancestry helps you search billions of records to learn more about the ancestors who came through remarkable challenges so you could be here today. You can find details about their lives in records at Ancestry. You can find out how they earned a living through a census record or see their actual signature on a military record. Learning their stories helps you find a connection to what they went through and how they stood strong through hardship. As I dig into my own family tree, I've had a lot of first-generation immigrants in just a couple of 
you know, links away for me. I can't wait to find out what it took for them to get here, what it took for them to start over in America. You know what? There's just strength in every family story. So learn more about yours at Ancestry. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash for the love to start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash for the love. All right, back to our show. I want to hear real quick from you about your 10 come on over commandments. It's very serious. Pick a couple of these that you want to talk about and tell everybody what these basic rules are that you have included for entertaining. By the way, your, your bent on entertaining is just so good. It's so spot on. And especially right now, we're so hungry for it. You know, we're about to come out of this pandemic we're dying to have everybody around our tables again. Just it's it's happen it's happening. It's going to happen more and more as you know the weather's turning, so we can do it outside. Totally. Everybody and people like my publisher was so worried about this. We pushed the date back of this book because it's like nobody's going to. I go no. I have a feeling that this is the perfect time for this book because it's like it gives you hope. Okay, this is a huge one. One to zero appetizers. Keep your guests hungry. This is commandment number three. One to zero apps. Mm -hmm. Keep your guests hungry to make dinner the star. I want you coming over to my house. First of all, I prefer it if nobody ate all day. Come starved. Because I'm, I'm preparing. Commandment number two, you can never over prepare. Prepare. I'm over preparing. So when people hear, I want you like a zombie. So when you lay out this spread of charcuterie, crudite, right? G- grandma's dip, the seven layer bean nacho spread. Billy brought over a cauldron of just what it's mayonnaise, hot mayonnaise with a vegetable in there, right? Just bubbling. And then where can I warm it up? Can I use your broiler first? Don't that's another don't don't ever bring me something that needs to use my oven for you can't I need I got one oven. I'm a I got a pizza oven. I got the smoker, everything going. I'll make it work. I don't want everybody getting full on the stars because I'm putting 92% of the effort into the mains. Yes. And I'm timing it perfectly. It's not because I'm a professional. You could do this at home too. You time it perfectly. So when they're there, you mix them a drink. You have maybe a little bit of sausage out, one of my recipes, or a crudite is always perfect with a swipe of hummus with a veg to not fill you up. And then by the time dinner comes, people are actually pissed. They're like, oh, they're sorry they came. Like, and yeah. people know that. Like, so, like I, my in-laws know that they're they're coming in hungry and we're eating. And then I like to serve the dinner. Like everybody has a couple drinks and then I put dinner on because then I can enjoy myself. Once I like that. Served. I like At that the end of the day, that. that's how you, that's how you not manipulate the situation. But if you can control the start time of the main, whether it's like a luncheon or whatever you dic- you know, you dictate when you're kind of free and I can't really pour a good, strong, co- like, cause I, you know, I drink when I cook, but I'm not like, I'll have a, a couple beers or something, but if I need to turn it up, if it's been a week and I want to make myself a, a, a tequila beverage, I'm not going to do that until the dinner's done so I can keep my eye on the prize and keep sharp. So that's important, I think. I know a lot of people are like, that is not I love correct. that. And I've discovered when I have people over for dinner, if I've also put all the juice into the dinner and not in a lot of the appetizers, a cocktail will solve their problems. They're not mad. If you put a beautiful old fashioned in their hand, they're like, guess what? Guess who doesn't need a a mayonnaise based bubbly dip? I know. 
So, okay. I actually like the zero to one app. I sometimes get in the weeds on appetizers. Like all of a sudden it's not even, I don't even care. I barely even thought about that. And it's take, I'm having to do all the knife cuts and the, my mayonnaise based dip isn't, I don't know, but you I don't hear factor you. it into the production schedule. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Do you like to have a helper? Does your wife help you in the kitchen? Oh on these yes. Things? We're, we don't even like talk. We just give each other looks. We, we run it like a restaurant. You have a lot of behind Jews. I really like that you say, get the thing to the table and then like sit down and enjoy it. Sit with your people. I am guilty of being the get up and get the thing and get the and pour that. And, and I, I've missed whole dinner parties that I've spent 10 hours preparing. That's really the number one thing is you got to try to enjoy it because it is worth it. And if you don't enjoy the, the food, I don't know. It's kind of sad, right? Because my mother was like, I learned it from my mom and my aunts who were like, we are, it's like this, you know, the scene in Wally where you have the robot that like cleans Wally as he, tra he dirties up the ship, you know, like they, they can't <laughs> yeah. sit down. They have to like pick that up, move that, get that for their, you know, and the, you know, most of the old timers were bo bossing them around too, unfortunately, but I'm so guilty of it that I find myself standing and eating at these get togethers and you're just shoving food in your mouth so you can get that cleaned up or finish slicing the steak. You got to allow yourself some time and, and, you know, budget that time to sit down because, you know, it's, if someone wants something, honest to God, they can get it. They can get up and get a knife. And if they spill, which happens, it does. they can clean it up themselves. They sure too. can. I know that this is true because I think of it from the perspective of being a guest at a dinner party. When the host is bustling and bustling and back in the kitchen and we're all sitting down, I don't like it. I want them to sit down. And eat it's with all, us yeah. and relax. Like I hate it. My oh, my mom does. It drives us all sit down. Like you, we're Catholic. We're raised Catholic. So when we sit down, we we know. Like by the time my mom finally sits down, and we've already shoved half a shovel into our mouths, then we're really getting steamed up. My dad's like, "All right, let's pause, say grace." And we're like, "Oh, we just started eating." <laughs> so we know that's coming. There's like it's like it's these great. disruptions are stopping totally. us from from just getting our daily caloric value. And God forbid, <laughs> don't but, make us. Pray. I know. I was like, no, you know, then we pray, and then we feel bad. And then, or he asked like my son to pray. My son's like, I'm going to give you a, a six word banger right That's now. That's it. Poppy. That's it. But, but totally. it's like all these just like, you just got to sit down because nothing can happen. Yes. That, that we can't mentally, spiritually, right? Progress until mom sits down at the table or I sit down at the table. And you got to remember that because the instinct is to, you know, nurture the situation. Sure. And, try to, and I think that right. is the instinct, which is I'm hosting, I'm serving, but the, it doesn't have that effect on your eaters because we want you to sit and enjoy it with us. We want you to be, have your moment in the sun. Like you provided this food for us. We want you better sit down and eat it with us. And we could bring our praise to the city gates and feel like you're getting to enjoy this labor as much as we are. So I really love your food perspective. Okay. Let's lay on the plane here. I've asked all the, my guests in the food series, these questions. So this is just like top of your head, like whatever you got. Got it. Here's first one. It's a hard question admittedly. And you'd probably answer differently like two hours from now, but for now in this hour, if you were forced to only eat one dish for the rest of your life, that's it, that you get one. What, what would you pick? I would pick pepperoni pizza. Oh, you're not the only one who said that. I love sandwiches. That's like my cheat meal from sandwiches, from fancy stuff, from all the 
fish and veggies we eat throughout the week when it's like Friday night or Saturday and I it's like it's to so the tiny. point with the side of wings, some ranchy, little ranchy for dippings, everything in the ranch, obviously, like a two carrots, maybe, you know, oh, with the celery. Cute. Just yeah, it's cute. It's cute. Okay. So how about this? When you're at home and you're, and we're going to just say that takeout or like restaurant food is not available to you. Okay. But great. you're too tired to cook. You're over it. You've had it. You've had a day, but everybody needs to eat food. What do you, yep. what's your go-to? All right. I'm going to tell you a ribeye, like, you know, oh, yeah, it's so true. It's so fast. Like a, just a salt and peppered reverse seared, if you will, charred ribeye with like, you got butter in the fridge, you got herbs, you make a little compound, but I mean, I know it's like putting butter on a steak, very indulgent, but to me, and if I can get in there, some sort of blue cheesy iceberg based, you know, wedge salad, chopped salad, which is like tomatoes, blue cheese, and this might skeeve you out. Tons of anchovies. No, I love anchovies. Who doesn't? So I just want, like, to me, that's like with a glass of red wine. I mean, I know this is like I just constructed a pretty elaborate meal. I don't know. That's if I fine the dining. I don't know if you know about down and dirty, what that actually means. But oh, hold on. Can I change my answer now? You can, but I will say that a ribeye is not hard. If you do not want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen, it is fast. It can be really, really fast. But like, it that also takes a little bit of work. A little bit of work. I'm saying when you were like, how quickly can I just put food in my mouth hole and y'all's? We always have mortadella in our fridge. And if it's not mortadella, it's bologna, right? It's like Italian bologna. So anybody listening, like for me, a fried, again, American cheese, gooey, crispy. Like a, It's a bundle of the bologna, shaved bologna, a bundle of it. And I just throw it on a pan really quick. Let that flip it once when that gets in the interior still soft, right? And then I drape it in American cheese, white bread, whatever bread I have. And then I put barbecue chips on top. That's the perfect answer. I know. Like inside the sandwich, the chips. Oh, natural. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Way too many to the point where you're like, it's a chip sandwich. Fried bologna is so underrated. It's so people are mean about it. They malign the fried bologna. And I'm like, you tell me when the last time you had one, because if you ate a fried bologna sandwich right this minute, You'd want one every day for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, you're going to be like, you're going to start investing in the baloney stocks because you know it's going to blow up because you're going to help it grow. It's just facts. Yeah. Last question. Facts. I ask everybody this question. Everybody gets this, every series. And you can, well, you can answer it however you want. It can okay. be serious or it can be like absurd. So okay. whatever, we get it all. Here's a question. What's saving your life right now? Ooh. Oh, Wow. It's weird, right? Because I'm in this place, you know, I'm home. I'm not home, you know? So I feel like displaced, you know? So there's things here, comforts here, you know, like, like working out is very important to me. I do, you know, and that kind of saves me in the mornings and it makes me work. But I would say my podcast that I've, I've started at the beginning of the, almost a year ago that I do with just my sister, me and my little sister, and we have my mom on, it's and so we have cute. my brother on, we have a neighborhood bartender. But for me, it's like, I have full control. It's like the only thing I have full control over in my life. My shows can be canceled any day. My book could be not sell, right? And it's at the mercy of an editor and a publisher. Totally. You know, I have a line of meats and peppers and all this stuff. Nobody can buy them. And there's people packing them and people screw up all like this is it's this yours. podcast. Say, because it, it gives me an outlet to be my truest self, I believe. You know, like the most irreverent, slightly naughty version of, you know, the me. 
And it gives me an outlet for my music because I write songs, sometimes three songs, at least one who's song each episode. So I, you know, music is a huge, it's more than a hobby for me. I've been doing it forever. So it taught me to record music properly and pick up other instruments I have been playing, like the keyboards and the bass and stuff and, and like learn programs on the computer. I don't know. It's been so such like I got this basement studio that I built and it's like, it's my everything. It is my, my safe space. I miss it terribly right now. I mean, I'm talking in a USB mic right now, but for me, it's just, I don't, and my sister's so good at it. This was her job. You know, she's a teamster, actually. That's what we do. <laughs> so she was working on films and everything, and she was out of work, and I presented her with this. And she's so great to, I don't know. My family loves it, and they're part, and they, they get, now they get mad at me. They're like, well, you haven't had me on in a couple of weeks, I guess, but we've done 50 something episodes. And it's, as you know, it's not just like you record something and put it out. I mean, it oh, takes right. it's work. Podcasting a lot of work. work. Yep. And it's like one more thing I probably can't fit in, but I love fitting it in. Then you have like, to. Like I don't drink during the week. It's like my my rule. But man, when we record on Fridays, I make sure we record our podcast on Fridays. I have my first beer on Friday, oh. and then it's like I don't know. Oh, it's, it, I love it. Isn't it? Yes, know. yes, I love it. I love it so much. I like when we can like helicopter up from a 25,000 foot view and look down at the scope of our work and be able to point to the things that like give us the most joy, like bring us the most life and go, that's dumb to try to squeeze into my schedule, but I'm doing it. Something else will go before I get rid of that. I got no commercials yet. Like I'm trying to monetize it. I'm figuring all that out. We know we're not part of a network, so we're just doing it. It's like, I pay my sister a fair rate and nothing's coming back. Like I'm making zero, but it's giving me, you know, I had scratching so many itches at once for me. I love it. Good for you. I'll make sure that everybody has the links to everything and just congratulations on your book. It's just exciting. I'm so excited for you. And it's going to be really fun to, for you to start getting feedback from your readers on this because it's going to be different. It's different from from the way in which they know Jeff and this, this, and this Avenue, this is even more. So you're gonna be on their shelves now in their kitchens. And that is special. Like that's rare air. So thank well you. done. No, you. I, thank you. Thank well you for done. this. You're the best. This is the best podcast I've ever done. Thank you. Honest to God, this is, you're, you're really good. Okay. Well, so it are helps. you. And so thanks for coming on the show and I'm just cheering you on from Texas. Whatever zany thing you come up to do next, I'll be like, Oh, I'm just gonna start like building boats or something. Why not? I don't know. Why, Why not? not? You charge I mean, your like, own course. You're doing meats, it. peppers, books, podcast. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I still find time to just do nothing. So that's. I think that's another important thing. I do too. Okay, that's it. Thank you. So happy to meet you. Pleasure's all mine. Bye, Jen. Bye, Jeff. Okay, you guys. That's it. <laughs> Isn't he fun? He's as fun as you think he is. He's as fun as you would ever expect him to be when you watch him on TV. Just delightful. So I'm going to have a link up for you for everything Jeff, all things Jeff. Obviously his cookbook, which is out tomorrow and all his social media accounts and all of his shows, everything, everything, everything. He is really, really fun to watch. He's really fun to listen to, really fun to connect with. So you guys give Jeff a lot of love. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy you're enjoying the food series as much as we are. It's been 
fun to watch the community rally around our food peeps in this series. And these are all people that you love so much. And so it's delightful for me to get to host them and bring them to you. Yay. So thank you for subscribing and tuning in and all that good stuff. Thanks for sharing these episodes with your people as well. Laura and Amanda, the whole team and I are so grateful. We love you guys. See you next week.